checking out college football on the West Coast. This is Get Off My Pylon, a look at the Pac-12 and more. Part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Here's your host, Matt Zimmer. Welcome to the latest edition of Get Off My Pylon College Football Podcast. We're part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Go to Red Circle to get the feed and get the list of all your favorite uh, college football podcasts under the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Umbrella Conference Championship Week. We hope you had a very happy Thanksgiving. And now, you know, we get into December. It means conference championship time. It means college football playoff time. It means, uh, you know, potentially a lot of controversy on the first Sunday of December, or maybe USC and TCU are going to make this thing easy. Well, we'll see, but at least USC and TCU, they can say, Hey, they have a chance. They are one win away from locking up spots. Zero doubt. They're one away from locking up spots in the college football playoffs. So naturally we're going to talk about the USC part of it since we cover Western college football pack 12 and a, a sprinkle of mountain West. And we'll give our predictions on the mountain West title game between Fresno state and Boise State uh, at the end of the show. But, you know, the Pac-12 has been very compelling and very good this year. And USC is one win away from ending the Pac-12's college football playoff drought, which goes back to Chris Peterson in Washington. In 2016, the Trojans beating Notre Dame in a game that was, you know, it wasn't a squeaker. Like, USC was the better team. It had a two-possession lead for much of the night, sometimes three. Had a seven, you know, 17-point lead at a few different uh, – points in the second half um not necessarily dominant uh, because that defense made Notre Dame quarterback Drew Pine look good but hello Heisman whoa Nelly Caleb hello. Williams Caleb Williams makes his statement after CJ Stroud fell short for Ohio State against Michigan certainly seems like it was separation Saturday for the Heisman so uh, really a great night for USC on so many fronts and so Alex Blau Partner in crime here, your overview uh, of this game for USC, your main takeaways, your, your first impressions as uh, we consider all the progress USC has made in one year under Lincoln Riley. This week is the 52-week the anniversary. It is exactly the anniversary uh, of his arrival at USC. It's remarkable what he's done in exactly one year. Today, the day we're recording this is, is the one-year anniversary uh it's it's pretty it's pretty astonishing to take a you know a four and eight struggling in a not so good pac 12 team last year you know last week we talked about the elevated qb play we've seen this season out west the 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 conference was not good last year and usc was not good last year and in one year you know i think a lot of people said the pac 12 championship is maybe one of the higher aspirations going into the season the only loss this team has is a one point away loss to a top ranked Utah team, which now they have a shot for revenge at. Uh, I don't think they could have imagined things going better for them right out of the gate this season. Caleb Williams solidified his spot as the first uh, Heisman at USC under the Lincoln Riley era. I'm sure, you know, first of many, he's hoping. Um, and, and he did it, you know, becoming the first Trojan QB to rush for three touchdowns in a game. He on his legs was astounding. His, his presence in the pocket was phenomenal. Uh, you know, I think I've, we've heard a lot of people compare him to Patrick Mahomes this weekend. Um, 
he he clearly was, you know, CJ Stroud did a lot to separate himself as well. But I think, you know, looking at the season, we're going to say no one made as much of an individual impact on their team as Caleb Williams, even though this whole USC rebuild has been nothing short of a group effort. Yeah, I mean, I think the point to pick up on as we just dive into this Notre Dame game specifically, Alex, is that Notre Dame's defense does not play poorly. I mean, you can't exactly say it played great, but this was not bad defense. And, and like, you know, 95% of quarterbacks – do not, cannot make the plays that Caleb Williams did. You referenced Patrick Mahomes. Yes, there was a definite, definite Mahomesian vibe and style uh, to the kinds of things that Caleb Williams did. I mean, not to say like he's the next Mahomes, but just, you know, scrambling around the, the way that he does, you know, he, he will throw the ball sidearm at times. Like there are some definite pieces of it. Like it's not as though it's exactly the same, uh, you know, like Caleb Williams, I think in terms of, uh, you know, read options and, you know, the ball fakes, you know, that's something you won't see Patrick Mahomes do. He's more content to throw the ball in the pocket. Uh, so that, that's, that's a dimension that's a little bit more particular to Caleb Williams, but the pocket presence presence is really the thing because you can look at athleticism with a lot of different players, a lot of different quarterbacks, but he really has that sixth sense. You can't teach it. He has that sixth sense of where everyone is on the field. And Notre Dame's pass rush was not bad, but Caleb Williams was able to spin and circle and uh, swerve. And and he avoided several sacks that against most other quarterbacks are sacks. There's only so much Notre Dame could have done. And that's why this team is so dangerous. You know, a lot of people are saying, hey, maybe they are frauds if they get that postseason spot. Sure, this USC defense has glaring issues. Some were exposed in the Notre Dame game. But no matter what, you still got to try to stop this offense. You got to try to stop Superman Caleb Williams, which is is proving to be a Heisman-worthy challenge. Another big talking point coming out of this game is that, hey, USC figured to really suffer as a result of the Travis Dye injury. Nope. Didn't happen because Austin Jones has really just taken the baton from Travis Dye, one Pac-12 transfer to another. The Oregon transfer handing the torch to the Stanford transfer. And USC has had essentially no drop-off in quality. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jones goes for over 150 against Notre Dame. He was just a beast, Alex. The, the quantity was there. The quality was there. And he was able to push off those big chunk yardage plays, which is which is what helped the Trojans. And talk about the running game too. Caleb Williams on his leg was phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, Austin Jones. You know, I, I thought we'd be seeing more Relique Brown. It seems his roles pretty much stayed the same. Austin Jones really has stepped up, and uh, and is that guy in the backfield with thirteen? This, I mean, we'll we'll talk about this when we get to the uh, Pac-12 championship game, USC Utah. But it will be interesting to see if Relic Brown does get some more reps against Utah, if only because, hey, these two teams have played before, and maybe Lincoln Riley sees a way to use Relic Brown in the rematch that he didn't have uh, in, in the first game. The other talking point being that Austin Jones, because he didn't get a lot of snaps while Travis Dye was healthy, you know, he's been fresh. But now that he's had two really high workload games against UCLA and Notre Dame, can he, does he have enough in the tank for a third straight game, you know, big time game, 
or is this the game that Relique Brown needs to give give more reps? We're, we're gonna we'll talk about that when we get to USC Utah, but I just want to raise that point right now. So uh, as we go to the other side of the ball, you know, I, I the USC rush defense in the first several weeks of the season, you know, that was the weak link, and you didn't see USC getting beaten over the top in the secondary, you know, through the Washington state game on October 8th, then everything changed against Utah and cam rising and Dalton Kincaid on October 15th. That was the game in which USC's defensive identity flipped. It went from being horrible against the run and decent against the pass to being horrible against the pass and actually pretty solid against the run. And we saw that against Notre Dame, like the Irish did not run wild uh, in terms of their ground game. And Alex Grinch wanted to take that away but it came at the cost of allowing a lot of completed passes to a, a mediocre quarterback, uh, Drew Pine. He, his first incompletion didn't come until the fourth quarter. So, my, Alex, my question for you would be, all right, Alex Grinch took away the run, but the pass defense remains really leaky. Uh, it remains a sieve. You know, how do you evaluate that? Like, do you say it's worth the trade-off? Do you say that, you know what? This just isn't cutting it. Do you say, you know what, this run defense, if we can, if we can take that away from Utah in the Pac-12 title game, and if we continue to take away the run from any team we face, that's actually going to be enough, even with the secondary's flaws. Where do you come down on that fundamental tension point at USC? For me, it's it's crazy to think that a few weeks into the season, this team was leading the nation in turnovers, and it was so ball hungry. Um, and I, I love that style of play. It was entertaining. It was fun to watch. But if I had to choose, you know, what makes this USC team so special is the offense we've been talking about for the last few minutes. If this defense can stop the run and force teams to throw, it takes the, the opponent's ability to manage the clock out of their hands almost. You know, if you can't pound the ball and, and constantly control with clock movement, you have the chance of a real shootout and this USC team is not one that you want to constantly be feeding Caleb Williams in the offense, the ball. So if it's up to me, I I'm picking stop in the run. Also, as we'd mentioned before, I do think, uh, you know, when you stop the run against Utah, it's a, it's a big key to the success. That's, that's a well-made point. That's why you're on our show, Alex, as our co-host here on get off my pylon. Um, all right. So, you know, in terms of, special teams like this this was the coaching move of the week in college football um and not not just usc notre dame but all of college football so notre dame has brian mason special teams coordinator royal semifinalist really the best special teams coach in the united states like tell me there's someone who's doing a better job coaching special teams than brian mason over at notre dame they've blocked over a half a dozen punts uh, this season, just an absolute punt blocking machine. So what does Lincoln Riley do? Now, first off, USC punted only twice. I thought USC was going to punt four times. Um, uh, the editor of uh, Fighting Irish Wire, Nick Shepkowski, he predicted three times. Well, it turned out to be two. But what does Lincoln Riley do the two times that USC was in a true, no doubt, punt situation? He has Caleb Williams on the field. He has the offensive unit on the field and then he pooch punts with Caleb Williams. So he takes yeah. the Notre Dame punt block unit out of the equation, J just a master stroke of coaching. You know, he could Lincoln Riley could have been pigheaded 
who could have been stubborn and says, you know, I trust my punt protection unit. Uh, and yeah. I want I want I want them to go up against Brian Mason, that punt block team from Notre Dame. We're going to prove ourselves. You know, he could have had the macho posture. And, and sometimes Lincoln Riley with his play selection does get a little bit arrogant, does get a little bit over aggressive here. He coached with humility and that he avoided you know, an, an occasion for a big mistake for a big Notre Dame special teams play. I am just so impressed with that display of mature coaching from Lincoln Riley. Uh, it was it was an important piece of, of a complete effort from this team. I think I think you're still thinking too small, Matt Zemick, big picture wise. What else does this do? We're going to have a Heisman punter. Ooh, <laughs> baby. Hey, and hey. If we want to talk about Caleb Williams as a Heisman uh, Trophy winner, Heisman defensive back because he broke up what was going to be a likely interception on that Philly special. And, you know, we just talked about Lincoln Riley being arrogant sometimes, being a little bit too full of himself with play selection. Like that Philly special, there's no need to get tricky or cute when basic plays are working. And especially when you just, just put the ball in Caleb Williams' hands, good things will happen. Instead, you have Mario Williams throwing a pass on a trick play almost became an interception, but Caleb Williams draws offensive pass interference. Now, Hey, 15 yard penalty, but he saves the interception. USC does get three points out of that drive. Went up 10, nothing. And USC being up 10 instead of seven, USC was up 10 for most of the night. So having a two score lead over drew pine and that limited Notre Dame offense like that mattered. So Caleb Williams star defensive back star punter, star quarterback, star runner, there's nothing he can't do. I was I was surprised to see that Philly special now that you mentioned. I'm glad you brought that up. I was surprised to see it that early. And at a time when the offense was working great. So that's the thing about trick plays. You use trick plays when, you know, you think that the defense has an angle on you to some extent. But if but if the basics are working, you don't need a trick. That that no. that's the, the objection. Only I coach, have to that. only coach, only coach that I've seen, and I agree most almost every time he's done a trick play. Dan Campbell. They do. Yeah, they do work. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. Uh, any other thoughts on USC uh, coming out of the Notre Dame game? Like we'll talk about the Pac-12 championship game in a little bit, but just, uh, you know, other other really significant top line talking points that you might have, like Eric Gentry got some meaningful snaps. He barely played against UCLA. He was much more active in this game. Uh, that's one possible talking point. Uh, we also saw, you know, Jordan Addison, you know, m- made a few plays, but you know, wasn't spectacular. And this was a game where USC actually ran more than it passed. And that's been a change uh, from other weeks. So a, a number of other storylines, what were some of the other things that, you know, when you're watching this and, you know, of course you're a USC student, so like you have proximity uh, to the program and, and you have your, your finger on, on the pulse of, of what's happening there. Any other takeaways uh, from this U.S. Um, game? Yeah, my one would be, uh, I know just over the past few weeks, we've been giving, uh, you know, Eric Gentry, Tui, Tui Pelotu, their credit. I, I want to give a little shout out. I think Kalen Bullock may have been, you know, one of the most underrated transfers coming over to this USC team. That guy has really made an impact this season. And he got that late pick, which really helped uh, help seal the deal. So, like, Kalen Bullock definitely uh, stepped up and made a huge impact play. All right. More on Get Off My Pylon after this brief break. College football fans, hey, 
conference championship weekend. So we have the Big 12 in, in Arlington. We have the ACC over in Charlotte. Uh, the Big 10 championship game in Indianapolis. Pac-12 championship game, of course, Friday night in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. So college football fans, with conference championship weekend upon us and then Army-Navy uh, the week after, we know that college buying college football tickets online requires trust. Ticket Smarter has partnered with more than 100 universities and 24 conferences, their official ticket resale marketplace. So we want you to take advantage of Ticket Smarter and their mobile app. Uh, you want to purchase your tickets quickly, securely, and at the best prices on the secondary market with that Ticket Smarter mobile app or at TicketSmarter.com. And hey, we have an additional offer for those listening here on College Gridiron Coast to Coast. Take 5% off your purchase of $100 or more with our promo code GRIDIRON22. That's GRIDIRON22 for 5% off your order of 100 bucks or more. And it's not just for Conference Championship Weekend or Army-Navy. It's also for the bowl games as well. Bowl games just around the corner. You know, that's, that's the weekend after Army-Navy. So, hey, for Conference Championship games, bowl tickets, go to Ticket Smarter and their mobile app. So check out the selections and pricing now with Ticket Smarter. And remember our code here at College Gridiron Coast to Coast. The code is GRIDIRON22. Think smarter at Ticket Smarter. All right, Alex. So because uh, uh, of Oregon's epic collapse, that's the reason we have this uh, USC-Utah rematch in the Pac-12 championship game. So, wow. I mean, when, when Oregon led 31-10, four minutes left uh, in the third quarter, like I'm saying, stick a fork in this game. Beavers are done because uh, their quarterback, Ben Branson, he was the backup to Chance Nolan at the start of the year. He took over when Nolan got injured. Um, Go Branson, six of 13, 60 yards, two picks. And he, he, the game was way too big for him. And so, so you're looking at Oregon State being down three touchdowns and the quarterback can't throw. Oregon State cannot throw. It was much the same as it was against USC when Nolan played and he threw four interceptions. And Oregon State lost that game because it couldn't throw. So, hey, you're down 21. And you figure Oregon's probably going to score at least one more touchdown in the final 19 minutes. Like this game's done, done and dusted. This is over. And so, uh, so I thought, or so I thought too, like I tweeted, you know, like, Hey, this is over. You know, I, thankfully I didn't say, uh, you know, I'm the editor of Trojans wire as, as many people listening to get off my pile. I might know I was about to tweet. Hey, Ducks Wire, looking forward to working with you for the Pac-12 Championship game. It's going to be great to have our two websites collaborating. Woo! Th thank goodness it didn't go that far. Um, hmm. But, uh, you know, I was thinking about tweeting that. But I certainly well, thought this guess, game was guess over. Who, guess who did exactly that with Barstool Oregon? This guy. Uh, well, you know, you know, sometimes... Sometimes you know a game's over, and then of course sometimes you you know a game's over, and then it's and then it becomes not over, and it's really mm -hmm. rather remarkable uh, what we saw in Corvallis. So, if you weren't following this Oregon Oregon State game closely, people listening here uh, to you get off my pylon. So Oregon State scores four touchdowns in ten minutes of scoreboard clock time, without completing a single forward pass. All right. That is just absolutely insane. But Oregon State scores 28 points in 10 minutes 
without completing a single pass, just an absolute epic meltdown from Oregon. Um, and so one of the, the really big key plays, uh, Oregon State had whittled the deficit down to 34-31. And Oregon had fourth and one at its own 29, uh, early to midway through the fourth quarter, you know, around 10 minutes left or so, roughly, give or take a couple of minutes. And so Oregon goes for it. Like Dan Lang has been going for it on fourth down all year, as you know, Alex Blau. And so the play call was a Bo Nix keeper. And of course, the background here is that when Oregon went for it on fourth and one at its own 34 against Washington uh, a couple of weeks earlier, Bo Nix was not in the game for that fourth down play. So Oregon hands the ball off. Oregon hands the ball off. Get, Washington crashes down on the running back. Uh, and it gets stopped. So now with Bo Nix in, uh, Kenny Dillingham, who, you know, hired by Arizona State, by the way, um, he, he has Bo Nix run a keeper. Alex, what, what was your view of that sequence? What's your opinion of both the decision to go for it, but also the play call uh, to have Bo Nix keep the ball uh, well, on that put down play? I think it's funny. I think the previous game where he was out towards the end, uh, really did kind of come into play. And I, I think that's why they said, well, you know, what happened last time? We didn't have Bo. We got him now. Let's use him. And, you know, I honestly, I didn't mind the call. I I was still of the uh, of the mindset that this is a done game. You know, the Ducks are going to be heading to Vegas. Um, I, you know, going into the game, I thought Oregon State had a shot, but not not that late into the game. I was thoroughly surprised. Not by the play call, not by the ex, not by the, the the execution even but simply by the final product yeah i i would only say that you know if you're thinking out this game tactically uh and if you're thinking of you know okay what is the defense likely to expect from us if you're oregon the fact that you know bo Nix wasn't on the field against washington that would mean if i'm doing you know game like self-scouting if I'm doing self-scouting and I'm Oregon and I'm Kenny Dillingham, I'm saying, oh, they're definitely looking for the Bo Nix keeper because that's the play we didn't run against Washington. So everyone in Research Stadium was looking for the Bo Nix keeper, Oregon State, and Trent Bray. And Trent Bray is, has been the best defensive coordinator in the Pac-12 conference all year long. Uh, he was all over uh, the Bo Nix keeper. So Kenny Dillingham, uh, you know, the fact that we learned that, you know, he, he uh, signed, uh, signed with Arizona State, like that deal uh, was announced shortly after uh, Oregon, Oregon State. Like he coached like a guy who had checked out. He really did coach like a guy who just kind of pushed the automatic button. He was on cruise control. It's like, all right, fourth and one, Bo Nix keeper. All right, like that's, like that's just what we do. Like he didn't seem to put any extra thought or originality into his play selection late in the game. Now to give Dillingham a certain measure of credit, like Oregon, you know, did play reasonably well on offense in the first two and a half quarters. But after that, it just seemed like everything just shut down and all the, all the plays were as predictable as could be. There was also a fourth down sequence inside the Oregon state five, where, you know, this was with Oregon state leading 38, 34 and Oregon needing a touchdown three runs up the middle on first and goal from the five. Like I, I, yeah, I, get that, was those, a I bit, that was a bit lazy. 
I get the first down run. Like maybe you can get a four yard run and set up second and goal at the one and then you can just mash it in. But that first down run gained only two yards. So then you're at second and goal from three. All right, surely you're going to go outside. Maybe not necessarily throw the ball, but you're going to go outside because Oregon has great speed uh, on offense. Nope, running up the middle. And then third and goal from like the two, two and a half, tried to sledgehammer it up the middle again. Yeah, Kenny Dillingham was lazy. Uh, and it really did cost Oregon. You're absolutely right. And, and it's, it's kind of a shame because, you know, if, if you ask me even right now, who are the top two teams in the Pac-12, I think my answer would still be Oregon and USC. Even, now, this is, now this is eye test. This is eye test. Yes, of yeah. course, clearly. Yeah. Clearly, because, you know, the, the records and, and, and the rankings right now say otherwise. Um. I test, I think healthy Bo Nix, Bo Nix shocked, shocked me surely this season. Me too. Uh, I still think they're the better team, but, um, you know, it, I, I never really attributed it to, to offensive play calling and, and, and laziness, but, you know, I, I was, I was in store. I was in the mindset of, you know, we've seen it a lot with Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles, whenever it's a third and one, a fourth and one, the whole stadium knows Jalen Hurts is keeping that ball. But it works every time. And I was kind of in the mindset of, oh, yeah, well, if Bo kept it, you know, it's, it's worked almost every time. Uh, if it is sort of an if it ain't broke, don't fix it mindset. But that mentality uh, didn't come through in the end. It's notable that when all those Bo Nix keepers did work, Oregon was playing at home, you know, against UCLA, against Utah, uh, other, other situations, you know, the, the other really big game situations Oregon had were, were at home. Uh, and, and also, uh, you know, so that, that's, that's part of the picture. Like this was a game in which momentum was now going against Oregon on the road uh, with a hostile crowd, not quite the same. And that really does play into something that we've talked about on previous shows this year, that the home versus road splits among better teams in the Pac-12, it's notable how often uh, the home teams have won. And, of course, Washington, Oregon being the conspic- conspicuous exception uh, to that rule. USC, UCLA is kind of its own separate thing because that's really a neutral site game uh, uh, in Los Angeles. I mean, it was UCLA's home stadium, but not, not quite the same dynamic there. It's notable that uh, home teams were so often able uh, to turn the tide against road teams in the upper tier uh, of the Pac-12. All right, this we're going to get to the we're going to get to the Pac-12 championship game in just a bit. But first, uh Washington is now in position to make the Rose Bowl. Uh and if USC beats Utah, Washington will make the Rose Bowl because USC will go to the playoff. And if a, if a team from a conference, if the champion of the conference goes to the playoff, then it, it, any conference in the Power 5 the second place team or the second selection gets to go to the conference tie-in bowl. So for the Pac-12, of course, that's the Rose Bowl. So Washington's definitely going to be rooting for USC in this game. And so we wait, have wait, a Matt, so we, Go ahead. Are we? We're sure. You're 100% sure that if I thought I read somewhere today that if USC lost Utah or if USC wins, Utah still goes to the Rose Bowl. That's incorrect. Uh, it's very, I mean, it's not an, an absolute ironclad guarantee because the Rose Bowl would get to make the pick, but mm-hmm. it's, it's very likely that it would be Washington for a couple of reasons. One, Huskies would be 10 and two. 
I mean, the Huskies are 10 and two. That's their final record. But if Utah loses, that would be Utah's fourth loss of the year. Also, yeah. because Michigan beat Ohio State, Ohio State is in position to go to the Rose Bowl as, you know, the, I mean, it shouldn't be a consolation prize, but of course, you know, when you want to get to the college football playoff, the Rose Bowl becomes the consolation prize by comparison. So Ohio State is likely going to the Rose Bowl. And so you had a Utah-Ohio State Rose Bowl last year. The Rose Bowl would be very unlikely to not only have a repeat game, but have a repeat game by taking a four-loss Utah over a two-loss Washington. It is, it is very, very likely uh, very that Washington, Washington will be the selection if USC beats Utah. Good points, good points. All right, well, thank you for clarifying that. Sure, sure. So when we look at 10-2 and two Washington possibly headed to the Rose Bowl in year one under Kalen DeBoer, when we look at Oregon State finishing 9-3, and three, basically without a quarterback. I mean, it's certainly Oregon State – Oregon State's quarterback just handed the ball off the final 19 minutes of that game, and yet Oregon State's able to score 28 uh, points and uh, come back from a 21-point deficit to beat Oregon. So you have Oregon State at 9-3 and with no quarterback. You have Washington going 10-2 and in year one under Kalen DeBoer, and you have Lincoln Riley at 11-1, and possibly going to the playoff. Alex, who's your Pac-12 coach of the year? And, I, and before you answer, does it depend on – this Pac-12 championship game? Like if Lincoln Riley wins, does he seal it? If he loses, does that mean that DeBoer uh, or Smith uh, have a much, much stronger case? Or is it already done? Is it already Lincoln Riley's award and nothing that happens this Friday is going to change it? What's your, who's your I, Pac-12 I think, coach I, of the year? I, I think it's already done. I think it's got to be uh, Lincoln Riley. Now, to play devil's advocate, if uh, – you do have another – I mean, I think Dan Lanning could have been in it. I think, A, the, the, the first loss right out of the gate of the season to Georgia was tough. And uh, I think they did a lot to change people's perception after that. Um, but I think he's he's been taken out of it. Uh, I, I, I do think it's Lincoln's. I think it's Lincoln's even if he loses the Pac-12. Um, to see what he's done in, in one year – and to see the success his individual players are having, especially on the offensive side, uh, it's it's astounding. Now let's let, let's play a little more devil's advocate here. Um, if Lincoln Riley and USC do lose to Utah, and and let's let's just say for the sake of argument that both DeBoer and Smith are both in the conversation, who would you take in a DeBoer versus Smith argument? I think I would have to lean the way of. De- oh well, I heard a duh. So so you, so your first inclination is to DeBoer. So it is very yeah, close. It's but, but it's yeah. very close. It's very if, close. If you are going to the Rose Bowl like that, that is a, in year one. That that it's is huge a, and hard to argue against you know all these all these transfer qbs from getting praised michael Penix jr really towards the end of the season has come along and and you know (laughs) sure the huskies deserve a little credit they do and and with with michael Penix, you know hey he threw for almost 500 yards against washington state 
Washington State was not that bad on defense against Caleb Williams and USC. USC scored just 30 against Washington State. If you hold USC to 30, like, you know, Notre Dame couldn't hold USC below uh, 37. You know, USC scores 38. Wazoo, 30 points allowed uh, to USC. That, that was a pretty solid defensive performance. So Michael Penix just absolutely lights up the Cougs like a Christmas tree. That is a very impressive display. Uh, you know, against a decent defense. That is not a bad defense that Jake Dickert has. And uh, John Wilner, uh, the great journalist who uh, covers the Pac-12, you need to follow him at the Wilner hotline that's at the San Jose Mercury News. He made the point, in just about any other year, Michael Penix would be the runaway Pac-12 player of the year. But of course, Caleb Williams exists. Uh, but it's, yeah. it's, it's absolutely phenomenal how, how much progress Michael Penix uh, has made this year. Uh, and much that much as Bo Nix worked with Kenny Dillingham at Auburn and then the two reunited at Oregon and just had a great rapport together. You saw the same thing. Uh, well, you saw it with Lincoln Riley, you know, carrying Caleb Williams from Oklahoma to USC, but you also had Kalen DeBoer and Michael Penix who previously worked together as uh, uh, you know offensive play caller and quarterback at Indiana. They reunite in Seattle and they make magic happen. So it's been, you know, it, it, the coach and the quarterback having that relationship, having that great rapport, clearly a factor for a number of the great uh, quarterback stories that we've seen in the Pac-12 this year. All right, we're going to talk about the Pac-12 championship game, USC-Utah, the rematch. But first, hey, with the college football season winding down, getting toward these conference championship games and then the bowl games, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity that you can rely on, like BetUS. Did you know that BetUS has been, been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for over 25 years, thriving and paying their loyal customer base quickly and securely? We want you to go to BETUS.com and take advantage of an offer we have on our shows from College Gridiron Coast to Coast. You'll receive a 125% signup bonus by using our code COAST22. That's COAST22. Put $100 in, get an additional $125 to play with. Put $200 in, you get $250, and so on. You can do the math there. BetUS also has the NFL, the NBA, college basketball, the World Cup. Man, some fabulous World Cup action uh, going on right now. Uh, but we know you're college football fans. We want you to be with us for conference championship weekend and the bowl season into early January at BetUS. Check them out at BETUS.com. And remember, our 125% match bonus for initial signups with our promo code COAST22. BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. All right, Alex Blau. Friday, no, Friday, it's football, Friday. not football. Spectacular. World it's football, football, not football. Oh, football. Utah, USC, the rematch, and hey, if it's anything like October 15th, we're in for a treat, 43-42. It's an absolute epic battle. So as we look at the rematch, uh, you know, so it's not in Salt Lake City. So like the Trojans have that going for them. Um, but there's a lot of other uh, layers of the onion to peel away from this game. But as we just, you know, begin to talk about it, what are your first impressions? What are your first points of emphasis? game keys, just anything that you're personally thinking about heading into USC Utah part two. Sure. Before the game, I want to know 
who the refs are and where they live. Because <laughs> if it's, I hope it's, you know, I hope the game is as thrilling as the first one, but I hope that uh, the guys in black and white have much less of an input on the final score. Um, besides that, uh, yeah, so we talked about the struggle of Pac-12 teams, especially the elite Pac-12 teams on the road this season. Uh, you know, that's it's neutral territory. It's it's bring your best guys versus our best guys. And, you know, uh, a lot of it is going to be Austin Jones. You know, can he keep the hot streak? Because the, the run game's been important, especially late in the season for the Trojans. Um, it's, it's guys like Eric Gentry. Is he going to be fully healthy? We're going to see him have more snaps than last game. Um, you know, on the, on the Utah side of the ball, which cam rising are we going to get? Uh, there, those are the big, those are the big five questions going through my head pregame. What about you, Matt Zemeck? Yeah, I think, I think it really does start with cam rising that like Utah has to have a great game from him. And of course his best game of the season was the USC game back on October 15th, uh, Utah doesn't necessarily need him to throw for over 400 yards, but he does need to be at the top of his game. And of course he got injured afterward, didn't play against Washington state on October 27th. Uh, you know, he didn't look good in, in the game against Oregon uh, on uh, November 19th showdown Saturday. Um, so like it, it's hard to, to say, you know, what kind of cam rising we're going to have. I will point out, you know, if they're, if there is one advantage Utah has coming into this game, you know, there, there are advantages that USC has, but the one really big advantage Utah has coming into this game, USC's last two games have been against UCLA and Notre Dame. And of course, you don't need to explain to any USC fan or observer that, you know, UCLA and Notre Dame are really important. And when, when uh, USC hosts Notre Dame, as it does this year, you know, when it, when it goes to South Bend, that's a mid October game or when it hosts Notre Dame, it's on Thanksgiving weekend. So, in the years when USC hosts Notre Dame, it plays USC and Notre Dame back-to-back weeks. So those are physically and mentally draining games. And now you get a short week going to Las Vegas. It is a situation in which USC is somewhat vulnerable to a letdown. You know, maybe the tank is going to run a little bit on empty. Whereas, whom did Utah play leading up to the Pac-12 championship game? Colorado. And so the Utes basically had a scrimmage, a glorified scrimmage. This past weekend, they could basically start studying USC game film before the Colorado game. Like they did not need to do a crash course on Colorado's X's and O's. They could already look ahead to USC. Uh, now, not that you know Utah was likely to be here. Like Utah needed that Oregon choke job uh, to get here. But nevertheless, like if you're Kyle Whittingham, I'm sure that you are looking at uh, USC game film going into Colorado because you just don't need to do a, an intensive film study on the Buffaloes. So you could say that Utah's had two weeks to prepare uh, for this game against USC, whereas the Trojans coming off two very physically taxing games. Uh, that is, that is something to watch for in terms of uh, Utah having a real shot to take this and sweep the season series. To play devil's advocate again, do you think USC had a stronger performance against Notre Dame or against UCLA? Uh, Notre Dame, uh, you know, because so I mean, that's I, my I will... maybe, 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 you know, this is a team, this especially on defense, a USC team that we've seen play to their competition in almost every game. 
uh, whether good or bad. So, so maybe it's a good thing that they're paying elite competition and they'll stay hot. You know what I mean? Just, just devil's advocate. That, that, that is a distinct possibility. It's definitely the scenario that uh, USC and Lincoln Riley uh, are looking for. Um, in terms of other, some other particularly big talking points, one of the things I'm going to be interested in is, you know, last year in the Pac-12 championship game, it was the debut of the Pac-12 title game in Las Vegas. You know, it was played in Santa Clara, the 49ers home, home ball yard, Levi's Stadium through 2019. In 2020, the pandemic hit. So you know, the Bay Area had the severe COVID restrictions. Um, so the game was played at USC. You know, Oregon went to USC and the Coliseum to play that uh, pandemic commerce championship game in front of zero fans, maybe, maybe just like a few friends and family members, but essentially zero people. That was kind of a one-off. So then last year they go to Vegas, they finally go to Vegas for the big game. And I don't know if you remember this, Alex, but Utah dominated Allegiant stadium. That was basically a Utah home game. It was basically Salt Lake city, Southwest. Uh, Oregon had a small contingent. Utah had a huge contingent. And of course, you know, Utah uh, having a chance to make its first ever Rose Bowl. So like that was, you had just a tsunami of red, uh, Utah red in the stands. I'm going to be very interested to see what the crowd breakdown is going to be for this game because it isn't Rice-Eccles Stadium and USC will have some fans there. But, you know, is, are Utah fans going to be able to own the building? I will say that because USC clinched its spot in the Pac-12 championship game, a week earlier, Trojan fans were able to get on the market and, and buy more tickets for this game. So I am expecting a split crowd, which, you know, as I also as a think split crowd that should be, you know, to USC's advantage, but maybe uh, the, the, the uh, legions of fans from Salt Lake city are able to own the building again. I'm going to be looking forward to that. And, and I'm going to be interested to see what the, what the crowd is going to feel like at this game in Vegas. I'm sure they will. They're a passionate fan base, but I also just want to say, you know, I know a lot of people in LA who uh, take quick trips over to Vegas more so than I know people in Oregon taking quick trips to Vegas. So I wouldn't be surprised if we got a lot of LA uh, supporters out there in, uh, in the desert. Yeah. It's uh, that, that, that's just going to be an interesting subplot. I'm not going to, I'm not saying it's going to decide the game, but I will say that, you know, I, USC certainly hopes to make sure that Utah fans do not own the building the way they did against Oregon last year. And last year, like the crowd noise was deafening for Utah. And, and as soon as the Utes got on top of that game early, it just snowballed against Oregon. So it'll be interesting to look at, at how the crowd sh uh, shapes up uh, for Friday night's game. Uh, so we have to deal with playoff scenarios here. We have to deal with playoff scenarios here, and that concerns, you know, if USC wins, it's in. Like, we don't need to debate that. But we need to talk about what happens if USC does lose to Utah because, you know, it's not just a matter of LSU and Ohio State losing this past weekend. Uh, we also had Clemson losing. You had Oregon losing. So you know, it's not just teams ahead of USC. Uh, which lost, you had teams below USC, which lost. And so really, the, 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 the list of possible playoff teams in my mind is seven. So that's uh, Georgia, Michigan, 
TCU, USC, obviously those are the top four. And then the next three, Alabama, Ohio State, and Tennessee. Like th those seven teams, that's going to be the makeup of the playoff one way for another. So if USC loses, all right, Trojans would be 11-2 and two with wins over Notre Dame and UCLA uh, and Oregon State. Like Oregon State now becomes a high-quality win. Winning on the road at Oregon State, you're beating a nine-win team. Alabama uh, is 10 and two uh, lost its, its biggest games of the year uh, against Tennessee against LSU did not make its conference championship game uh, one at Texas, which, you know, not a bad win, but you know, Texas failed to make the big 12 championship game. And as we look at other resumes, like Tennessee beat Alabama head to head also beat LSU, but got absolutely smoked by South Carolina late in the season when everybody was watching, everybody was paying attention, you lose 63-38. Like that's a big ouch. That's, you know, that, that certainly was a very bad eye test result uh, for Tennessee. And then perhaps the most fascinating case of all, Ohio State, brand, brand name team. So, you know, good for television, good for ESPN, but didn't win its conference, didn't win its division, and much like Tennessee, got blown out in a big game when everyone was watching. So Alex, if we, if USC loses, like if USC wins, there's no controversy. There, there's no debate at all. It's very clean and neat. But if USC loses Trojans, Alabama, Ohio state, Tennessee for that fourth playoff spot. And we could also deal with a situation if TCU loses, then basically be the two teams uh, or, or, or five spots or two teams uh in the college football playoff um you know any any particular thoughts on a resume comparison involving usc if the trojans lose like if you put no, USC alabama ohio state I'm, what are you I, I hear i i hear what you're saying but i'm afraid the sec bias is too real it's it's been something that the pac-12 deservingly had fight against this season it's it's just reputation alone that's holding it up but I, I think if you see USC lose, the college football playoff would be more than happy to put in an Ohio State or even, you know, as gross as it is. I think even if USC loses, we could see Bama back in the college football playoffs. But I, I do think if USC loses, it, it's Rose Bowl for them, but no playoffs. Okay. USC would go USC would go to the Cotton Bowl uh, because uh, Utah, oh, that's right, Utah, Utah would, go to the would be the Bowl. Converse champions. Splendid. Yes. Yeah. So um, it, let's, let's, just, let's just say – if it, if it comes down to Alabama and Ohio State then, or do you, for, well, first off, do you think Tennessee has any chance? Nope. Okay, so Alabama or Ohio State if USC loses. Especially since Tennessee lost uh, Hendon Hooker. Yeah, so Alabama or Ohio State if USC loses. And I think it's Ohio State. But Okay. And, and, and basically that comes down to having only one loss. Yes. Instead of two. All right. It's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see how that all uh, shakes out. All right. You know, so this was this was just a brutal year in the Mountain West. And so, like, that's why we've been talking so much about the Pac-12. But, you know, it's just been a very hard year in the Mountain West. Uh, you know, Fresno State comes to Boise State for the Mountain West title game. And it's not as though we have a 10 and two team against an 11 and one team. We have Fresno State coming in with four losses and Boise State's had a very rough uh, up and down uh, uh, year, uh, you know, managed to scramble back to win the Mountain West's Mountain Division. 
and get to the title game. But that's partly because Air Force struggled, Wyoming struggled, pretty much everyone in the Mountain West struggled. So, you know, no extended discussion of this game, but we do at least need to pick uh, a winner uh, in this Mountain West Conference championship game. So Fresno State at Boise State for all for all the Tostitos and salsa uh, with some mountain chili. Uh, Alex, who's your pick in Bulldogs versus Broncos? You know, it's funny. We we both talked about how weird this, this season's been in the Mountain West, and you really can't take anyone's record for granted. When I'm looking at this, two games stand out. Yeah, they, they both pretty much manhandled Nevada. But against Wyoming, Boise State struggled, and Fresno State was dominant on both sides of the ball. I'm taking Fresno State to walk away as champions of the Mountain West. I agree. I like I like Jake Hayner. I think he's the better quarterback in this matchup. But you know, Green for for uh, Boise State certainly has a lot of talent. But Boise State's volatile, and you saw that in that game against Utah State last week, being up 28-10, and Utah State was 10, 11 yards away from winning that game late before. Uh, uh, a turnover uh, swung the momentum and Boise state scores two very late touchdowns. Uh, but that was 28, 23 Boise state in the final minutes, Utah state that close to stealing the win. Uh, Boise state's just a little more erratic. And I do like Jake Hayner coached by Jeff Tedford and for at Fresno state uh, on the road in Boise. Okay, Alex. So next week we will find out if the USC Trojans are in the playoff. We'll find out if the Washington Huskies uh, are in the Rose Bowl. There will be a lot to talk about. And uh, of course, we'll, we'll chop up uh, Caleb Williams Heisman Trophy candidacy a little bit more. Um, you know, we, we, can, we can reserve the Heisman for, for next week's show. So Alex, I know it's a big week for you at USC. Uh, best of luck to you this week. And uh, you know, thanks for all the help. Thank you, sir. Pleasure to be here. All right, folks. So this has been the Get Off My Pile on College Football Podcast for another week. We're part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Hey, whether it's Patrick Netherton's Pigskin and Burnt Ends previewing the SEC Championship between LSU and Georgia or Tyler Jones with his Big 12 breakdown looking at TCU trying to get to the playoff against Kansas State or any of your other favorite College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcasts. Hey, get on over to Red Circle, get the feed, get the list of episodes as they drop. Uh, each week, uh, you know, we all, we're going to have yards and stripes previewing Army Navy next week. But you want to keep stay posted to what yards and stripes is doing. Also, um, Florida Football Insiders with Jason Powers, he's going to be reviewing the Florida Florida State game this week. So, for all your favorite college football podcasts, go to Red Circle, also Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen to your favorite college football podcasts, or College Gridiron Coast to Coast. That's all for Get Off My Pile on this week. We'll see you next week. So long.